In this week's episode, we're running through a huge list of great new titles, from space marines to samurai to strange superhero costumes. It's all happening now on Cover B. Hey everybody, welcome back to Cover B. Hey guys, how's it going? There are so many books this week after times and times and times of barely anything at all we have now been bum rushed with a flood so let's get right into it yeah the first book we want to talk about this week is we live number one it was hands down by far my favorite of the entire week it's a really good book i'm very excited about this one this one's probably gonna be a new favorite for me i'm very excited to see where this one goes same it is all about world building it takes place in an honestly not too distant future um but it's incredibly futuristic which is kind of in and of itself terrifying um we follow a pair of kids taking a journey uh with an older gentleman who's guiding them and a bunch of other people who are going but that's kind of the focus and the world is post-apocalyptic but not pre-apocalyptic it's it's like we're right on the cusp of another apocalypse and it's yeah the the rundown is that the world is ending um and something to the tune of five thousand kids have been selected as by some sort of off-planet alien force has been selected as the the remnants of humanity that will be taken off the planet and saved from the apocalypse Um, so we follow a group of people with only five days left, uh, to get to the departure point or whatever, the rally point for these kids, um, as they make their journey across this like horrible dying land, dying earth. And this book's got everything. Like there's like zombie-esque monsters, there's mutated animal creatures there's sci-fi elements with aliens and advanced technology and but also people who live kind of on the outskirts of of you know civilization who are just trying to make it get by it's there's so much and i think what's so cool is that this whole thing this whole post-apocalyptic essence is tampered with this beautiful bright vibrant artwork yeah that's like multicolored and and bold and so interesting and it's such a cool dichotomy because normally this type of book would be like here's some gray and also some black and gray yeah and also some brown but not this book. <laughs> it's got a it's got a nice balance of very heavy concept and storytelling, world building, bright artwork, and really like innocent, relatable characters. That honestly, like, I think this could be another descender and have that kind of like popularity. Um, it's a good book. It's it's really really good. It's and hefty, it's, which is nice. Yeah. Um, it doesn't feel like. You're not like left feeling like you didn't get enough in the first issue, but it also isn't so overwhelming that you feel like you don't need another book. So I'm I'm really really excited about this one, and I'm I'm really excited. This for the is next definitely part one to not miss. Yeah, this is, definitely. This is a really really good story. It was just really fun, and you know, 
engaging and very just just cool. It was a cool book. It was a very very cool book. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to this one. Um, another cool concept out this week um, from Image. Uh, we live is from Aftershock, uh, but this one's from Image. Uh, it's called Commanders in Crisis. It opens with uh, it's written by Steve Orlando, and it opens with a um, little bit of a foreword from Didio, who used to be the publisher over at DC and had a lot of drama uh, surrounding that this past year. Um, among all the other DC drama, um, <laughs> which there's plenty of, but he makes a comment about big crossover events and big event books. And, you know, in the comic world, anytime you hear the word crisis, you immediately think of what crisis means over at DC, which is their big events. You've got the crisis on infinite earths. You've got final crisis, uh, the current run of death metal is doing a lot with like crisis energy and stuff. Um, infinite crisis, identity crisis, heroes in crisis, like crisis always signifies this idea of a big crossover event. That's going to change the status quo. I think status quo is always the word that Marvel uses for their events. Yeah. Um, the whole premise of this one is how do you do how do you do something like that like a big event book without using and relying on the history of the characters that have already been established so how would you have that sort of event storytelling with characters that are brand new um and that was the whole concept for commanders in crisis and that's effectively what it is it's got a very like familiar tone um, in terms of these like big event books, but it's new characters, new hero concepts, different powers, kind of unique powers. Um, but it's got that whole idea of our universe is coming to an end. We need to do whatever we can to stop it. Um, and it's, I, I think it's a really interesting concept and a really interesting project. And they've created some cool kind of unique super people, uh, for it. It's always a little hard to get into, new super people for me because I feel like us as a society, we accept these weird superhero costumes, right? Because we just know them. So when somebody tries to like dish out a new superhero costume, it's like weird and uncomfortable. I and it's see like, that. it's yeah. like, this is kind of, I don't know. This person's costumes awkward. Like there's one person in here who's in like, she has like, godlike powers and she's in like very cleric looking garb and there's you know somebody who's like a mage and she's in very mage like garb and that's all fine and there's somebody who has a lot of technology and she's in this like cybernetic suit and that's fine and then the other two dudes it's just like i don't know they're just kind of like cheesy looking costumes and weird looking but so it's always there's always that kind of like uncanny disjunct feeling when you dive in i remember feeling the same way when i started playing sentinels in the multiverse because i was like you know these aren't superheroes that i'm used to so you find yourself being critical of their character design um even though their character design is just loosely based on things we've already seen um that but that said these these heroes are pretty cool i mean like i said there's that kind of disjunct feeling where you got to get used to like powers you've never heard of with characters that you've never heard of 
But I think they did a good job really setting up this idea of it being a crisis book, it being this event book. There's a few good ideas and, uh, you know, concepts that they put forward. Um, and I think it could be a cool story overall. I'd like to see if at the end of it, you know, it has that same sort of like acclaim that all these like event books from the big publishers always get. You know what I mean? I yeah. mean, outside of like Marvel, because Marvel does like 15 a year. So <laughs> they're they going to have like some that, that fall into the chafe. But, you know, is this going to be are we going to look at this as like a critically acclaimed event book along the lines of like infinite crisis and, you know, or yeah. is it going to be just another indie book that came and went you know yeah it was good though you make a really good point about the costuming because like i feel like so much of why we accept the costumes from like superman and batman is because they were made in an era where it made sense to be dressed kind of like like they were you know carnival-esque characters so having them dressed like carnival-esque characters made sense and so to this day we accept their outfits you know, man panties on the outside at all because that's what they were before and we take them from that context of that, you know, bygone era. But then it's hard to think of, like, a new character that's been developed now and be like, well, why would they look like that? Why wouldn't you just make them dress kind of somewhat normal? Like, even if you wanted them to be in, like, quote-unquote, like, costumes or outfits, like, something a little more toned down like a fantastic four-esque modern sleek black cat suit might be a little more appropriate than like giant blue suit with yellow shoulder pads like it's kind of a weird it's a weird choice yeah so i definitely it's a good perspective i, I like that but i i thought commanders in crisis was cool it's got a cool little twist toward the end to kind of tie the characters together which was what i was kind of struggling with um, in the beginning of the book is that I was kind of like, but why are they here? Mm -hmm. And then they kind of tie it together. And it's a really interesting, interesting way to tie it together. I don't want to spoil it because it was kind of a fun surprise. So, but it's, if you get into the book and you're like, but I don't understand your purpose. Yeah. It gets there. Wait yeah. for it. And there, cool. there admittedly are a few moments where it's kind of clunky on the exposition where it's like a super person walks in a room and it's like, Hey, I know you're dealing with this very specific detail of your superpower that I'm going to explain in a few paragraphs to you, even though you know what the specific detail about your superpower <laughs> does. But hey, I'm here if you need me. Or like this one dude walks in and is like, I this is, hey, here's some random factoids about me, people I've never met. Here I'm doing something super heroic. All right, moving on. You know, and it's yeah. just like, okay, it was a little clunky. I get it. You're trying to like I think there could have been more visual storytelling in like explaining the powers. Um, I don't feel like they utilize the frames enough, use the panels enough to tell us what these superpowers do. Yeah. They did a little bit, but not enough. And so they had to, you know, go back and be like, okay, this is, let me explain this a little bit more. And it was weird. It maybe but could have benefited from like, a narration esque yeah. scenario, yeah. something a little bit more omniscient rather yeah. than like, let me explain why I'm doing what I'm doing and be very awkward and clunky about it. It would have been better to have like a, 
this person's doing this because of this and this happened and just have it like a little bit of omniscience up at the top of the panels, yeah. get it out of the way, yeah. not awkward anymore. Cause I mean, you're already setting up. It's a, it's a superhero story in a comic book. Like we accept omniscience this, as much as we accept your blue man panties. Like, yeah, fair. We can handle that. <laughs> yeah. Next book up is something I didn't know was coming. I didn't know that Marvel bought the rights for Warhammer 40K. Yep. Marvel acquired the rights of Warhammer. Uh, it was originally being published through Titan. I don't know what the whole specifics of their acquiring of this was, but Marvel's going to start putting out Warhammer comics. And so it's pretty exciting. I will say, I don't have a lot of history with the Warhammer 40K mythos. Chris does. So he'll have a very different perspective. My perspective on this book is that it's being written by Karen Gillan. And it's fabulous because it's being written by Karen Gillan. And I say that because I have been in a bit of a sad spell where I found myself really missing Uber. (laughs) Uber was one of those books that I loved reading because it's like, it's very technical and very logical and it kind of gives you a different perspective. I've never been one of those people that really likes watching war movies or, you know, reading about war history. Like I was always more like, okay, can we get through this stuff so that I can go talk about ancient Egypt? Like I was always that type of guy in school. I know I'm terrible. Um, but Kiron has always presented it in such a way that war becomes more interesting to me. He brings in a very, um, he has like this very high level technical view of it, but then also does a great job of introducing emotionality and, and empathy and characters yeah. that you relate to. And that's what he did in this book. So let's have a bit of a primer. And a nerd rant like this is going to be something that pulls me out of the funk I'm in. So you'll probably see me brighten up as I go along this. Um, (laughs) Because we don't talk about Warhammer on the podcast. We just haven't. Warhammer and Warhammer 40k are rich lores and rich games that have been around for years. And they have their own sort of nerd subculture. But honestly, we haven't interacted with their comics much. So you guys out there might not have any idea what we're talking about. Uh, Warhammer and Warhammer 40k, which is now broken into Warhammer Age of Sigmar and Warhammer 40k, are tabletop miniatures games from a British company called Games Workshop. Um, It's like really intense chess, you can think of it as, or like a live action real-time strategy game a la Age of Empires or Command and Conquer. However you want to think about it, you basically field an army of little miniatures that you have assembled and painted yourself go up against another army of little miniatures that someone else has fielded and painted themselves. And you do various things from games, including taking out certain high priority targets to claiming land to claiming objectives. And if you want to spend two days, you can also do like total annihilation games, but it's a long game and it takes a long time. Um, The lore itself is incredibly dark and incredibly rich and has been kind of, expanded and nuanced over the it started as just a game whatever it's just a game like most things right um and then eventually became this kind of rich thing that they've done novels for they've done some comics for uh and it's just grown and grown and grown as time has gone by i've listened to a handful of the books on uh on audible uh i want to listen to more i love the lore of this On the 40K side, the 40K literally stands for 40,000. It takes place in the year 40,000, which we are in the year 20. 
or 2000. So put that in perspective. Um, there's a whole galaxy. It's sci-fi based with elements of fantasy. So there are orcs and there are demons and there are elves and there are, but there's also like weird alien races called the Tau. There's like these bug, like alien bug lizard slash type aliens, um, called the Tyranid. And yeah, uh, humanity has spread out over this galaxy across all these different planets, interacted with all these different races, um, humanity is all under the flag of the Imperium, um, wherein the Empire, the Emperor back on Earth, whatever they call Earth, I don't know. They've got some name for it, Terror or something like that. Um, the Emperor is basically a husk. He's dead, I think, technically, but they call him <laughs> the Immortal Emperor and he's kept alive through like magic and this like golden throne machine that he sits on. Um, the orcs do their nugget. own thing. They do they do what orcs do. There's the Eldar, which are the elves. There's Dark Eldar, which are dark elves. Uh, the Tau, I mentioned, are basically like space communists, little gray men. Um, the Tyranid are, you know, your typical like bestial overrunning planets. My favorite are the Necrons. They're basically robotic space mummies. Um, <laughs> this game sounds insane. It's so good. And it's dark <laughs> as hell. That's the thing. So, you know, you have these massive ships that travel from, like, planet to planet, but they're huge, and they have, like, thousands upon thousands of people, and they're old as hell, so they'll be, like, thousands of years old, so you'll have entire segments of the ship that nobody's been to in, like, millennia, and there's just, like, a race of evil creatures living there, and you go and find it, and you're like, oh, shit, um, <laughs> and, like, stuff like that, and, like, planets will just randomly get wiped out as a Tyranid hive, which is just, like, a giant, like basically a beehive floating through space just launching through space lands on the planet and then just overruns and gets consumed and there's like weird religious stuff and there's too, all right? kinds of religious stuff and one of the big things for mankind is this thing called the void um and there's basically a large portion of the empire got cut off from the rest of the empire with this void that ripped its way through the galaxy and there's been paths chartered through the void to like reconnect with these like edge worlds that got cut off but what also comes with the void is demons yay demons um <laughs> and the corruption that comes along with those so in warhammer the demons are chaos so they're referred to as chaos demons and there's three main lords of chaos there's corn who's all about he's your typical demon like all about violence and war and blood He's the Ares of demons. He's about, they they cry blood for the blood god. He's the one where you'll see dudes wearing red, and he's the one that's all about just, like, murdering people and Wait. eviscerating skin and things like that. Is he coming undone? He is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know why they can't just keep that freak on the leash, but they just can't. Um, I couldn't help it. <laughs> there is, oh, there's actually four. There's four Lords of Chaos, not three. I misspoke. There is Nurgle, who is the... That's a great name. He's the Lord of Rot. Um, Damn, so his <laughs> his people are plague bearers. They spread disease and boils and rotting flesh and all that. Um, Zinch is called the Changer of Ways. He's all about like reality altering, reality warping, and time warping, and really like 
he's a, he's more of a Loki type character, so he's okay. more mischievous and like playing around with things and doing things randomly and sporadically. Um, and then there is Slanesh, who is actually an Eldar deity that got corrupted, I think. And um, it's all that's all sex, drugs, and rock and roll. So they're very Slanesh. like four horsemen esque. Yeah. Okay. Um, cool. Dope. So the void happens, demons happen, people can be corrupted by these, and one specific problem lies in the type of people that we find in this book. So this book is called Warhammer 40k Marnius Calgar, and yes, I finally wrapped it back into the comic. Um, <laughs> Marnius Calgar is a chapter master of a chapter of Space Marines. Space Marines are like the ultimate fighting, they're the ultimate weapon in the emperor's army so there's the imperium there's the astra militarum which is just the normal regular military army joes tanks and army dudes and artillery and snipers and all yada yada um then there's the uh the uh astartes i think is what they're called and i'm i'm sorry if you're like a super warhammer 40 i don't play i've only recently been getting into the lore if i mess any of this up feel free to troll me in a direct message. Um, <laughs> the Astartes are the space Marines. They're the, the VIPs. They're the Navy SEALs. They're the like hardcore badasses. They get trained at an early age, get, they pass trials, get selected and drafted into this elite cadre. They get fused into these massive, uh, massive like armor constructs that are just like, huge like they're huge dudes and they get like genetically altered and cybernetically altered and I, they're just i think the thing that made the most impact on me from this book was that it mentioned that when they're like 15 years old they get 19 superficial biological like organs implanted in them yeah i think they have the things hell? like i think they have things like extra hearts they have things like etc my brain um, cannot <laughs> and this all wraps around the fact that the the empire itself is a holy empire their emperor is treated as a god um and his you know the magics and things that he produces are considered godlike there's also things called like machine gods and machine spirits that they look towards so they look at machines they're very so there's an adepta adeptus mechanicus is the like the engineering segment of okay. the uh of the empire and they're all like super mechanically altered and cybernetically altered and stuff they actually are stationed on the moon um and they basically worship machines and they pray to machines so when you use something so say you use a bullet and the bullets in this universe are like self-propelled rockets. They're basically like self-propelled rockets. And this is how this book opens. So he talks about his bullet finds its target and then the machine spirit inside makes stuff happen. So they basically they treat they build these machines and then they treat it like there's some sort of the energy flowing through it is like a machine spirit. And then there's all kinds of other weird shit we can get into like. <laughs> How they turn failed soldiers or dead people into servos, which are basically flesh robots. Anyway, um, that's all for another day. Space Marines. There's a bunch of chapters. There's like Death Watch. There's Raven Guard, Space Wolves, which are basically space Vikings. 
Grey Knights, Imperial Fist, etc., etc. Okay. Marnius Calgar is the head of what's considered one of like the chapters of Space Marines. The elites. It's also the one we most recognize because it's the blue ones. It's the Ultramarines. <laughs> um, they're like the OGs of of Space Marines. They're the ones on the covers of all the books. <laughs> Him being the chapter master makes him simultaneously a general and a governor and like a high priest, like a high priest and also like a messiah. He's good Lord. He's worshipped, but he also does like civil stuff on Ultramar, which is the home of the Ultramarines, which lucky that that planet was named that Um, (laughs) would be weird otherwise. Um how how well coordinated. Oh yeah, hey. <laughs> Good naming 1990s British people. Um I don't know when it got named Ultramar. I'm just pulling shit out of my ass. Um So he's, you know, he governs the planet. He organizes the Ultramarines and is the top dog of the Ultramarines, but he's also like deific and kind of a uh what is it when you're like half like Hercules, like half a deity? Uh, what is it? There's a word for that, and it's slipping my mind. It, not heroic. Well, I mean heroic, but um, um, uh, de- demigod. Demigod. Yeah, you're basically a demigod, um, in the eyes of the people, and also kind of literally because there is magic in this universe. There is like the emperor does have some sort of weird magic that is able to protect people, and you're also in like the best space marine armor, so you're a hulking badass of blue plate that has guns on its wrists and, and it's crazy 19 extra organs yeah and a bunch of extra organs like like i said i think I they have like extra lungs i think they have extra hearts and shit like that well, i mean they gotta have them. extras of something because yeah. there's 19 of them so that's where this book picks up it's written by kieran gillen um who just does a really good job writing stories centered around war if you haven't been reading die there's a lot of war in die uh in kieran and uber and uber and Kiran, I don't know what his attachments are to war. I don't know much about the guy's personal life or where he gets his inspirations from. I honestly haven't seen many, uh, many interviews with him. But when he writes with war, he's very good at showing you the sides and the ripples of war. Um, According to his afterwards in every issue of Uber, the man reads more than any other human being on this planet. Like yeah. he'll finish, we'll finish reading the issue and he'll be like, yeah, so in this book, you know, for this issue, I read this book and this book from this guy and, you know, this book. And I wanted to take inspiration from this particular part of history. So I read this book and I'm like, you read like eight books, like big, thick history books, <laughs> like the art of war. Yeah. books in the time it took you to make this one issue like okay yeah cool good job thanks kieran i don't feel dumb bud i love you i'm just kidding <laughs> so yeah this is uh, this book is focused on marnius calgar we're getting a look into his past we're gonna get a good look at what it takes to become a space marine and that's what i think i'm the most excited about yeah um it's going to be cool. I'm really excited. And I'm excited to see them do, because I love the lore of this. And if you're fine with dark stuff and you're fine with kind of like horror elements and just really gritty grit, uh, because they refer to Warhammer 40K as the grim darkness. In the year 40,000, there is only war. Um, so it's dark stuff. But if you like those kind of stories, 
I haven't read all of them, so I don't know. I'm sure there's probably some writers that just really like dive into that like toxic machismo. I don't know. It's unfortunately a culture that hasn't had a lot of inclusion introduced into it yet. Yeah. So it might not be for everybody, but it's getting there. In fact, there's a whole chapter for the Imperium called the Adeptus Sororitas. They're badass space nuns. They're the only part I know, and they're so cool. (laughs) There are a bunch of stories about characters from that, and they're very, very good. So I highly recommend those if you can get your hands on them. Um, There's some of the ones that I've listened to. Uh, But that said, some of the books might not be for everybody, especially some of the older ones. I don't know. I can't vouch for those. I'm sorry if you read one and you don't like it, but it's really cool lore, and I highly recommend you check it out. Um, and the fantasy side of Warhammer is also very dark and horrible and terrible. And you should also check this out and you should start checking out the Warhammer comics as they come out because this one was very good and it introduces some really cool stuff. And I mean, ultimately the way to make things more inclusive and more inviting to people of all, you know, races, creeds, genders, etc., is to demand inclusion. Yeah. So if you become a fan, increase the fan base, do it up. Um, moving on next, we wanted to talk about another book I was really excited about. Um, Rorschach number one. Rorschach. So somewhere out there right now, everyone close your eyes. Mm. Eyes closed. Okay. And just imagine how pissed off Alan Moore must be right now. Oh, he's just, <laughs> he, his fingers are twitching. I, I see it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure he's going to hate it. Whatever. He he's going to hate everything. Um, Rorschach number one. So this is told in the modern age. Um, it is told probably around the same time that the uh, I don't know how much connection this is going to have to the HBO show. I, I was know. trying to watch for like little connections, but it's been a while since I watched the HBO show. So there might have been like nods to it, but it takes place in the modern age. HBO show also takes place in the modern age. So I'd like to see them start building comics in that world that was built by the HBO show. I think that would be really dope. world's better, But they might want to just keep those separate. Whatever. Uh, I go into this saying that I've read Watchmen and Doomsday Clock, never read any of the before Watchmen things. I don't know if there's any sort of connection here to those, but this book focuses on a detective who is trying to figure out who a man who tried to assassinate a presidential candidate dressed as Rorschach is. Yes. And it only gets deeper and weirder from there (laughs) yeah it's i like it though it's starting out feeling very much even though it takes place in the modern age it's still got that like watchman aura to it like original s watchman-esque aura to it kind of like it feels a little drab Mm -hmm. but like in the good way it very much feels like you're watching an 80s like detective movie yeah like 100 percent, like trench coat and all (laughs) this one is written by tom king um, and I think that's absolutely the best person to pick up a Rorschach title. That man's on fire right he, now. Tom King has a very solid way of writing heroes who you find hard to look at as heroes. Yes. You know, he wrote Mr. Miracle and Mr. Miracle's got tons of baggage and tons of problems. He's writing uh, Strange Adventures and there's all kinds of like really subtle like did he Weird maybe commit stuff. a war crime kind of thing going on there? 
um, his run on Batman was a very shaky time for Batman. And unfortunately, I think he got pulled off because people couldn't handle Tom King being like, look, Batman's not that great. Um, Batman's kind of a prick. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Batman's got a lot of emotional issues and maybe we should look at that. Um, and now here we are with Rorschach, who is a character that unfortunately got written in The Watchmen to be a total piece of shit that nobody would ever like. And then yeah. all the like comic book fans were like, we love this guy. There's some quote from Alan Moore um, where he's like, and it, again, this is an Alan Moore quote. This does not reflect the feelings of cover B. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a quote from Alan Moore where he's like, you know, I made a character who like lives alone, eats cold beans straight from a can and smells terrible. And it's no surprise to me that comics fans loved him. <laughs> yeah, he he it's clearly made Rorschach to be hated, and yeah, he's unfortunately, not. yeah, unfortunately, Rorschach was written to be hated, and unfortunately, he kind of that didn't come across the way that it was supposed to. Yeah, and then in the movie, again, they made Rorschach unlikable, but still have some really badass moments, and he has this like really they really played up his like heroic stand down with dr manhattan well and they also and... really leaned into him being the type of person that gets picked on on the playground and yeah. and you like relate oh, to that his bad past and stuff and um yeah they they made him more empathetic yes and then you flash to the hbo show and everyone's pissed that rorschach is turned into like the kkk and this like alt-right group you know what I mean? Yeah. Like Rorschach's basically the Proud Boys. Yep. You know? 100%. And everyone was pissed. And that's Except when it started. Alan Moore, to, who was really, really happy about it. Yeah. And that's. <laughs> and then it started coming out where, you know, a lot of people who had this different interpretation of Rorschach. Because when I read it, I hated Rorschach. I thought it was a cool costume. I liked his costume, like his costume design. But as I read the book, I was like, this guy sucks. This guy's awful. Like he's just. He's got good intentions and he's trying to like solve things, but he approaches things as if they're a challenge, not so much as if it's the right thing to do. Like he refuses to fail this challenge. Yeah. And it's it, he's in his own way, arrogant and full of himself and he smells bad and everyone hates being around him and he's kind of gross, you know? Yeah. And he's just like unrelentingly like. I've got to crack this open, you know, and like that's who we were supposed to feel him as. And so when you have people being like, Rorschach's the best, Rorschach's a great character. You're not supposed to like anybody from The Watchmen. <laughs> yeah. That's the real takeaway is that The Watchmen, you're supposed to leave it being like, man, those guys sucked. <laughs> yeah. You know? And I think for me, I never thought Rorschach was the best, but I never saw him as like the ultimate villain that I think other people did. Like maybe even you did. Like I saw him just as, to me, he was almost like the stereotypical iteration of badness whereas everybody else was maybe worse because they weren't quite so upfront yeah. with their horror he was their horridness yeah you know what i mean like I, he, I didn't see him i didn't see him as a villain like i i want to clarify i didn't see him as a villain i get that he's on the side of good right, right um and i get that he's got like i said he's got good intentions and he's doing the right thing but what he is also is a paranoid 
damaged loner. Yeah. And he's generally dangerous. And when you look at oh, it, absolutely. like when you read that book, if you don't read it with a tone of Rorschach's going to stab one of these guys at any point in time because he's just done with this, then there's something wrong. Yeah. You know, I can see they that. come back to Doomsday Clock and they make Rorschach the son of the doctor that Rorschach killed or that, you know, facilitated his death. Right. Um, during the like prison riot or whatever. And, you know, then again, you're making, he adopts this Rorschach thing, a very Jason Todd-esque sort of like adopting the face of my tormentor. Um, but he becomes empathetic and he becomes like heroic and he's not as like strange. And it's, it's that same kind of idea where it's like, it's not where Rorschach was originally supposed to be. Yeah. So it's interesting to see. I, I think Tom King can handle that nuance really, really well. I agree. Where he can that. make Rorschach a paranoid, damaged loner who is dangerous, but also make him the guy who's also focusing all that dangerous energy down a path of right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because that's that's the, the right thing, thing about Rorschach is he has all the potential to be like a Unabomber. Oh, he has yeah. all the potential to be a serial killer. But he just managed to focus that same kind of like paranoid, the world is forgotten about me, the world has left me behind kind of energy on the, on the right positive path. Side. He's just yeah. focusing it correctly. And that's what you're supposed to feel about Rorschach is that at any point in time, that energy, just like in the HBO show, that energy became his message and that message got focused wrong. Yep. It and now twisted. it's being used for hate crimes and terrorism and all this bad shit, you know? Weird, an emotionally abused person with all with paranoia and, you know, loner syndrome who just so happened to orient their behavior on the positive. Yeah, I think Tom King maybe has handled somebody like that before. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what you mean. Tom King never wrote Spider-Man. Anyway, um... (laughs) Yeah, Rorschach's cool. It's got another black label book. It's not magazine size. I was a little bummed about that. Thought it was going to be magazine size. I was a little disappointed. Yeah. But it's still cool. Um, all the drama Tom King drummed up with Jay Lee aside. Yeah. <laughs> Which we won't talk about. Yeah. Look it up. Tom King made a fool of himself. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's better to reach out to a person individually than put them on blast on Twitter. That's all I'll say educate instead of isolate just just a phone call bro you're tom king you can't call up somebody at dc and be like can you give me jay lee's number when you have to talk yeah you gotta just go straight to twitter and call a man a racist even though he's not or call a man a misogynist even though he's not that's cool he just didn't (laughs) (laughs) anyway rorschach good book yeah next on the docket are his True Lives of the Fabulous Killjoys, National Anthem Number 1. That's a mouthful. Uh, So, I went into this. I, as you guys know, I have a tendency to just like, I don't know what this book is. Look at the pretty art on the cover and then just start reading it without any context. So, I got like halfway through this book being like, what in the absolute royal heck is happening right now? My brain hurts. I'm a little confused. I have no context. I flip back to the front and I go... Oh, it's a Gerard Way book. And then suddenly everything (laughs) made sense. So True Lives of Fabulous Killjoys was a mini series from Dark Horse by Gerard Way. 
Um, it's hard to come by. It's not an easy book to find, unfortunately. Um, but it's, I think he did it. He may have done it after Umbrella Academy, but I want to say that he did it before Umbrella Academy, oh. but I might be wrong, but it's tough to find. It's, it's before the Gerard Way comic book hype really like kicked up like long before. I mean, Umbrella Academy was before the Gerard Way uh, comic book hype really like <laughs> people started to realize, whoa, Gerard Way writes amazing comics and Netflix put out Umbrella Academy. We should all read Gerard Way comics, you know, um, I never read it because I've never been able to get my hands on it. Um, so I don't know this being a sequel or just a parallel story. I don't know where this, I don't know how this compares to the first story because I have not read it. Yeah. Um, that said, as somebody who has not read the first story, I didn't feel lost. No, I didn't feel like I couldn't understand what was going on. It was erratic and spontaneous and chaotic, but it worked. Yeah, for, and for the mood and of that's the book. something too that I want to clarify is that it wasn't that yeah. I was like, "What's going on?" It was more like, "This book is bananas." Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I get what you mean. Like we were talking conspiracy theories and weird reality bending and like being outside of the matrix, and like it's cool. I'm super down for it, but I do have to say that being put in a context of having read other Gerard Way at this point, I it it made more sense. That's what I wrote it. Because <laughs> it went from like, man, whoever's writing this is just sort of like all over the place. And I was like, oh, duh. Yeah. <laughs> That's just how he do. I it's think it's, fine. It's got a super cool vibe to it. Um, I think it's got a super cool message to it because it seems to be surrounding like not losing your ties to youth. Like not grow growing up, but not growing old. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Or vice versa. And However also not wanna... being drained by society's expectations. Yeah, like living the life you want to live, having the energy and the youthfulness that you want to have, and being willing to stand for those kind of things, which is a very Gerard way message to send. Um Boysters still wears that eyeliner. Yeah, so I, I'm excited to see where this one goes. It's This was a really, really fun book, and I, I, I just had a lot of fun reading it. And it was a thick boy. It's it was kind of a thick boy. It was thick. Yeah, yeah. The art was cool. It was interesting and bright and weird. I liked it. I liked it a lot. I thought it was, it like I said, go into it with the context of knowing it's Gerard and you're gonna and having understood Umbrella Academy and things like that, and you'll you'll vibe into it much faster than I did. Yeah, fair. Uh, and finally, I want to talk about, uh, I don't have a ton to say, but it was cool. Uh, Devil's Red Bride, number one. This is from Vault. And it's a samurai book. And that's pretty much all I have to say. There's been a <laughs> lot of interest in like samurai yeah. ronin stuff I, lately. Yeah. And I think that's really cool. I like how comics go through these veins and like these spurts of like creative unity across, you know, it, it's interesting because you see this in like TV and movies where like similar things will come out at the same time. And clearly they started production at a roughly the same time. And it makes you wonder like, what is it about the universal consciousness that like certain ideas and certain concepts and certain ideations yeah. formulate at the same time amongst different people? Yeah. And comics does the same thing and i think that's really cool and right now as much as we're having like 
ridiculous quantities of vampires oh, all God, over I'm the so damn place. so done with vampires. And we're also starting to see the like samurai ronin we're thing seeing... happen across all of really artistic. Yeah, that's the thing. And in comics, we're having like like a lot of references to ronin stuff and samurai stuff, but I haven't really seen like this is just going to be a samurai yeah, book. There's been samurai. like you know Japanese folklore based fantasy books and like you know. Wolverine just went and got the Muramasa blade for X of Swords and stuff like that. But just like a hardcore, like a Kurosawa samurai story. Yeah. Story about vengeance, story about family, story about honor. And that's what this is. It's just a traditional, you know, through the fires of feudal war type of samurai story. And that's why I was like, this is a samurai story. That's all I have to say, because that's what I want. It's just a traditional <laughs> samurai book and it just looks really good and plays out really really good and has characters that you want to know more about and has some time jumps that leave you interested in what happened in those gaps um and like i said it, it you know i summoned the name of kurosawa but it feels like a kurosawa film like it feels like a modernized kurosawa type of yeah. type of progress um also girl power <laughs> yeah also girl power <laughs> Never going to go wrong when you got a girl stepping into the man's shoes and getting yeah. it done. And for those who don't know, <laughs> Kurosawa made mad films. And they had samurai. <laughs> if you made films, would they have samurai? They would, yeah. Chickity China, Chinese chicken. <laughs> Sorry, I can't help it. If you summon bare naked ladies, I'm going to respond. The B&L, man. They're a national treasure. Anyway. That was a lot of books. Yeah, there was a lot out this week. So. And that wasn't even everything. There's still a couple other books that you know we read this week. There's another one shot from Conspiracy that's continuing on the bizarre brain-melting story trauma of... If you're not reading Conspiracy, go get those books. They're ridiculous, and it's enjoyable. Mm -hmm. um, and there's like a, a there's other things. It was a good week. It was a lot. There was a lot this week, but it was worth it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, definitely go go hit your local comic store and get you some books because they miss you and they want you to buy more books. It's true. And if you want more Cover B, bazing, uh, come find us on our website, coverbpodcast.com, for past episodes, including that Powered Gaming episode that we finally got out on Wednesday that was time traveling and oops, my bad, but we got it up finally. <laughs> uh, if you want us even more... Even more Cover B stuff. You can find us on social media, Facebook and Twitter at Cover B Podcast. And we will maybe have another episode on Wednesday. There's some more games out that we've got. Maybe just until Saturday when we've got more comics. I don't know. But you got to stay tuned because we're always mixing things up and shaking up things and making it interesting. So stay on your toes. Stay aware. I looked away for a second, and when I came back, you were screaming at them to stay aware. The coffee just kicked in. Oh, cool. Good. <laughs> anyway, we'll catch you back here for the next episode of Cover B. Of Cover B. Bye.